Today's Bible reading, Ruth 2, verses 17 through 23. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epitaph of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I had worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the Word of God. This particular sermon I wish I could preach um, to some live faces, and particularly um, I wish I could preach in front of the sisters today. Um, I have a particular message, a message which is especially relevant to women, and um, the, the, it's titled Defending Vulnerable Women. And um, I want to just say a couple of, of, of things to frame this before we get into it. It's part 10 of our series on biblical justice. And we have talked about um, God's justice as an eternal attribute. And, and God has an understanding of justice which in the Bible, which is quite different than our secular understandings today. And um, we are talking about the fatherless, widows, and minorities, the outsider. And we are talking about the widow. We're in the middle of talking about widows. Um, today is kind of a continuation Last week, I explicated some portion out of like one of the key passages, the book in the Bible that addresses the subject of the widow, which is the book of Ruth. And um, today I want to talk about something that's very specific in the book of Ruth, which is really relevant at all times and all places, which is one of the key concerns of God about justice for women and particularly for widows, vulnerable women. Okay, so I'm, I, and I want to broaden this idea today that widows aren't just somebody who had a husband and then and then, and then he died and then um, last week I told you that a widow had a very specific understanding that in the in the time of ancient Israel it wasn't just a woman who had a husband and then he died which is kind of the the, the basic understanding of widow how we understand it but it was a woman who had a husband he died. And then she didn't have a home to go back to, back to her father. And then she didn't have, um, she didn't have a son. And so in that time and place, she was really especially vulnerable. And so that is how ancient Israelites understood the place of the widow and why God was very emphatic in his word. You must defend the widow and there must be justice for the widow. And if you don't, I, like I will get you. I mean, I, you know, my wrath will come down upon you. Very explicit words in the Bible and they're repeated words. And I wanna get into um, one tremendously important relevant aspect of that today. And I wanna talk, tell you just right from the get go, it, it's a really hard and painful subject because I'm going to talk about sexual assault. That's what I'm going to talk about. Now, um, this is a really adult conversation. Um, and I just want to say to you, this is a PG-13 message. So if you have little ones in the, in the, you know, in listening to this, this is, might be a time to dismiss them. Um, so I just want to let you know that. And I want to say uh, something else. There are women that you may be listening to this and you I'm going to talk about th some things very forthrightly, and I hope you don't think I, I, I mean them in any way that's to be insensitive. Um, in fact, indeed, it's quite the opposite. I'm preaching this because God cares very much. If you are a woman and you have experienced some kinds of uh, sex sexual assault or threat 
or something just seriously creepy, even if you weren't raped per se, raped, but seriously, grossly creepy. Um, uh, I, I just want to, my heart goes out to you. And I want you to know in the Bible, God cares tremendously about that. And we're talking about, but in this, we're talking um, today, um, a message that really goes out to you, but we're talking about from the subject of justice. So it's really the subject where God is incredibly upset and angry, and he commands certain things, and in our the way we live, because he knows this is these are the problems. But today in our highly post-Christian, very relativistic, you know, very kind of like anti- God and anti-Christian culture, we don't have these wisdoms. There's all kinds of wisdom issues that we don't have, and women in our culture really, really pay. It's not only women, um, but we really pay. And uh, I want to kind of unpack that today. So that's that's the subject, okay? I, I don't apologize for talking about this. I just want to say this. If you're a Christian and you go to church and you're wondering, why, why, why are we talking about this? I mean, like, whoa, you know, like, is this, should we be talking about this in church? A lot of churches don't talk about this, especially from the pulpit. And, um, you know, I think, you know, if you've been pastored by me for a while, you already know, I, I don't, I deeply disagree with that. But the Bible talks about this. It's not because Susang is any, is any kind of wise guy. Susang is, is, is an idiot, just like a lot of people, okay? Um, but the Bible is tremendously wise. It's from God. The Bible addresses the subject matter. It's supremely important today. And so I, I, I really just want to push back. If there's a lot of Christians today who think, you know, you know, churches should be happy places and we're going to do our comfortable religion and everything's going to be clean and neat and nice inside the church, I can't disagree with more of that vision of church. That is some, what is this, a country club? This is what I disparagingly like to call churchy church. And, um, Revive is not a churchy church. We are a gospel-centered church. We believe in the Bible. We are very serious about living inside of God's word and for our neighbors and for our city. And this is a supremely important subject for our neighbors and our city in this time and place. And we need to start talking about some things the Bible talks about, okay? It's a bit much to, to um, frame this uh, the opening, so let's get into it. Defending vulnerable women. That's the name of the, of the message, part one. Rape, modern sexploitation, and the threats of sexual assaults. Rape, modern sexploitation, and the threats of, mo of, of sexual assaults, plural, different kinds of sexual assaults that we have in our, cult in our culture. Rape isn't the only one. Um, but I think the Bible would consider all the varying and creepy and horrible ways that women can feel violated today. Um, that God would consider them forms, you know, that get into that whole world of rape and something that's incredibly angers God. All right. That's part one. Part two, I want to shift gears a bit and kind of broaden the discussion to vulnerable and unhappy women in the injustice of modern day Sodom. That's why I wanna talk about it. Vulnerable and unhappy women in the injustices of modern day Sodom. And I just wanna just talk a bit of a, about more broadly about our culture and how we end up where women are so unhappy today and why women feel kind of under threat today. And it's just, it's a nervous thing, okay? And I'm, I'm calling this modern day Sodom and sometimes as soon as people hear Sodom, it's like, okay, this is where the Christians get all bigoted and, and angry about homosexuality. I'm not even talking about homosexuality, okay? Sodom is famous or infamous, depending on the way you think, because it was a society that was, you know, it was a city rampant with homosexuality. But Sodom, I don't even think is bad for homosexuality. It was the rampant heterosexual sexploitation of the city, which I think also angered God. That's completely right, but today, we're living in modern day Sodom, that's our cities today, and um, it makes women incredibly unhappy and vulnerable all over the place, okay? That's part two. But we'll desperately need good news in part three 
I want to offer um, the good news, what I'm going to call the joyful, blessed bride of the true Lamb of Justice. The joyful, blessed bride of the true Lamb of Justice. Okay. Okay, all right. Oh, let me get a drink before I was getting into it. Part one. Um, rape, modern sex exploitation, and the threats of, of sexual. So let me, first, let's get into it in the Bible. Um, I hope you have your, uh, if you have your, you know, Bible open or your Bible app open, um, you know, I hope you're at Ruth chapter two. It's the kind of verse that a lot of, it just kind of just goes by. And this is an ancient Israel and it's a book about widows and, you know, and widows are, are, are you know, seriously cared for by God. And God comes to himself as the defender of widows, the, the one who cares about widows. But here's an incredibly important passage. So Verse 17, Ruth goes out to the field. For those of you who weren't here last week, oh gosh, you know, Ruth is the daughter-in-law. She's Moabite. She's a different ethnicity than her mother-in-law, Naomi, who's Israelite, okay? And um, Naomi lost her husband, and then her son lost, you know, her son died. So um, she is now, so we have two widows. We have a mother and a, and a daughter-in-law, they go back to the old country there in Israel, and they're desperately poor. How are they going to make ends meet? How are they going to eat? What they're going to do is do this practice called gleaning. And gleaning means that poor people, and typically they tend to be minorities. In this case, that she's both. A Moabite, she's, she's a minority, and she's a widow. Widows and minorities and just orphans, fathers would go and look for food in fields because you know you don't go to the the local like food pantry or you know or or um or you know the supermarket that's where food was you have to go to the local foods and if you don't own any land where are you going to get food so you go to local foods and there there was something commanded by god is that if if the people who own the land would go through harvest pick up their you know their food and their grains and then they weren't allowed to go back and get everything else like you know you don't you sometimes you know you don't get all the, the crops, you know, get all the fruits. Um, and so God said, don't go back and get them so that, you know, widows and the fatherless and the outsiders, the minorities can go there and they'd have food. That's what God said. So they're doing exactly what is provided for them in the justice of God in their society. So it says here, she, that is Ruth, gleaned in the field until evening then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ifla of barley, you know, won't get to all that. She took it up, went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her food, you know, so they talked. And her mother-in-law, this is, this is Naomi, said to her, where, where did you glean today? And wherever you worked, and uh, blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law, she said, the man's name with whom I gleaned is Boaz. And Naomi said to her, oh, uh, blessed be the, I mean, so she's so happy. She's like, the Lord is, you know, as, as a, so they're desperately poor. They could starve, okay? And she says, blessed be the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, he's not forsaken us, that's what she's saying. And Naomi said to her, this, the man, you know, he's, he's like related. You know, he's like, you know, I, I, I've, he's, you know he's kind of re related. Um, so it says a close relative, that doesn't mean like immediately, but he's related, right? One of our redeemers, and I, and I talked about this weird thing we talked last week about someone who could come forward and then um, do this practice that we think in, in our modern day is so weird called leveret marriage, where the brother of the husband, et cetera, and I won't get into all that, but in, the term is called redeemer. And now here's the part I really want to get to today. Verse 21, Ruth said to the Ruth, the mother, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. You'll be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, some of you are thinking, that's a really interesting detail, Pastor. Um, you know, you're going to build a whole sermon on this? Um, yeah, I am. It's not the only passage. Um, God cares about this, this aspect. 
my it is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you would be, you could be something really creepy and bad could happen to you. What is the Bible saying here? The Bible's saying that if a woman doesn't have belonging, because that's what the widow is, she doesn't, she's not part of a family. She's not part of a clan or a tribe where there are more other righteous people who watch watches after her. Because one of the most, you know, the most fundamental ways a woman could be violated is because there's no other men in her life who will raise a stink if something bad happens to her. Because in your, your typical tribal clan, what happens is if you lay your hand on another woman and she's somebody's daughter or sister or, you know, mother, you know what will happen? That man will get the other man in his clan and will come after you or at least go to the chiefs of the clan and then there will be a whole thing that will open up and um, and then your reputation could be ruined and or if they're absolutely enraged, they might actually try to murder you. So just because that is the norm of what happens, you know what that does? It keeps creepy and perverted men in check. So everyone in all places, men are lustful and um, for whatever reason, they look at a woman and you know they take a fancy to her. But generally, they're not going to think about doing something weird or creepy to her if she is part, you know, if she's part of a of 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 a, of a community. But if she's not a part of community, like a widow, like we talked about, you know, all of a sudden people start thinking like, well, she could possibly be fair game, and then she's much more likely for something bad to happen to her, especially if she's walking out there by herself. So everybody knows she's poor. Everybody knows she's a widow. And so they're thinking like, if, you know, you kind of want to do something to her, who's going to do anything to me? So all throughout history, um, poor women are raped and assaulted, sold off into slavery. Um, prostitutes are assaulted. And the widow could fall into that, 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 that area. Let me just share with you something else. So I'm going to need to share my screen. I'm going to take you to another passage. I'm going to take you to a passage in the Bible. Okay, this is... Uh, are you guys seeing this? Are you guys seeing... So I hope you're seeing this. Let me try this again, just in case. Make sure I do this correctly, okay? I'm going to come out. Oh, no. Am I doing this properly? No. Okay. Yes, I'm going to stop sharing. <laughs> it's all on the video. This is so great since I'm so not good at technology here. Okay. I think now you're looking at this. Deuteronomy chapter 22. This is Deuteronomy 22. I'm going to take you down to an important passage where it talks about things like this, okay? Just show you how incredibly serious God takes these kinds of things. So this is a, a sexually conservative society. In this culture, if you commit adultery, adultery, not rape, adultery, whether you're the man or the woman, you know what the, 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 the punishment is? In ancient Israel, during this time, in Deuteronomy, when um, it's under this, before they became a nation, Moses, Moses is the leader, uh, the, the punishment was death, adultery, okay, adultery. So here's another instance, verse 25 of chapter 22 of Deuteronomy. But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, and the man seizes her and lies with her, we're talking rape, then only the man who lay with her shall die, Okay. So let's just talk a little bit. Oh, young woman who is betrothed. What does that mean? In this time, generally, when a woman gets to a certain age, it's it's there, it's a, it's a kind of like a, 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 a it's a uh, it's an arrangement society. Probably most women, you didn't go out and date your your father, would probably betroth you, would give you a, it's a kind of engagement, and it's serious. Yeah, you, you might you know the 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 woman might be fourteen or fifteen or sixteen years old, and she's not she could be fourteen. She could be 16. She might not get married until like she's 17 or 18, but she's betrothed. In other words, she's single. She's not married yet. But so she's out there working in the field, 
you're in a city, you're in an open country. A man meets a young woman who's betrothed. So most young women are going to get married. This is the, so this is what we're talking about here. And um, and so the man sees her and lies with her. It's rape. We're talking about rape. Then only the man who lay with her, then what is the punishment for rape? Death. <laughs> Verse 26, you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death. If she is complicit and consents to adultery, they would kill her, okay? But if she's raped, she hasn't done anything wrong, okay? For this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor. This is how God looks at sexual assault and rape. It's akin to something like murder. So our society doesn't do the death penalty for rape. But back then they did. And, um, you know, I, I shouldn't go around talking about my opinions. I really wouldn't have a problem with that today, okay? If you um, went to the death penalty for rape, I think we'd have less rape, okay? So, um, for this is the case that is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor because he met her in the open country and though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. There was no one to rescue her. So that's the situation we have in our culture regularly. Women are regularly not part, we, we live in a radically individualistic culture and everybody's out there and everybody's supposed to be protected, but women are regularly not in the bonds of, of, of community. And um, so, let me, let me just try to talk about this Ruth story a little differently. Let's say a woman today is poor or she is working class or let me say she's middle class and she has a job. Maybe she didn't even love this job so much, but she has to go out and this is how they need their, you know, like there's so many people today, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They have a job. They don't love this job, but they need this job. Okay. They go there. And um, the men at the company are not like Boaz. They're not righteous men. And they don't regularly think about the women around them and think, you know, you, you know, you should stay here. If you hang out with my, you know, in my, in, 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 the, in my, in our company, you'll be okay. You'll be safe. That's not how a lot of men think. So women basically go out into the world without belonging and without protection. So you go to work and your boss or your boss's boss or your coworker in the middle of work, invites you out for drinks after work. And, and today, women today, they, they get this kind of creepy sinking feeling like, um, I, I don't really know if I should do that. And, uh, you know, maybe he's attractive, maybe he's not attractive, maybe he's really not attractive. But suddenly, you know, maybe he's your boss or your boss's boss and he has, takes the fancy for you and um, he wants you to go out and drinks. Maybe there's an insinuation that if you don't go, you start to wonder. Maybe there is no insinuation, but a lot of women to go like, um, could, I, could this possibly threaten my job? Or like, I need to work hard and I need to possibly even get promoted. And, um, you know, this is a really uncomfortable situation. And what if this man is not Boaz. Outside of Boaz, maybe it isn't directly rape, but the threat of rape or the threat of something creepy this is our culture. Um, a number of years ago, uh, I, I, um, um, I was listening, I was, I'm on this discussion here with a bunch of pastors and elders, godly men, and one, one of them said, you know, you should read this lengthy article. It was about an app that's popular today. It's called, it's called Tinder. Most of you have heard about this thing. So I read this article and about halfway through this article, I basically wanted to puke. And I read the whole thing. And after I read the whole thing, I wanted to take a shower. And this idea that it was basically saying there are these, all these guys out there and they're basically, they, they don't have jobs. They, they, uh, they aren't even good looking and um, they're not good prospects, but somehow they can go onto this app 
And then they could just swipe, 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 swipe. You know, I don't like the interchange. And then, and there's this already this understanding that there's this whole world of women out there who are easily like they're, they're, they're so desperately want to find a good man, but they're on this app and you could say, well, they're really dumb and so forth. But like, and then they get together and immediately they just know that, you know, he's, he, he could, he could have sex. He doesn't, sometimes he doesn't even have to take her out on a date. Doesn't have to spend much money. Like when I was younger, at least, you know, if you wanted to, you know, if you were a sexually loose guy and you wanted to get a woman in a bed, you better at least take her to a nice dinner and you better do this multiple times. And like, then she would kind of feel like she owes you. And then maybe, you know, you can get the second base and third base and maybe go all the way. And like today it's like, it's tender and bang into the sack. I think the Bible, we would call that consent. So in our legal age, we wouldn't call that rape. Uh, the Bible, I don't know if the Bible call that rape, but it's in that general category. <laughs> That's why I say that today we're in, we live in Sodom. And um, all this kind of stuff is so normal. It's so normal. We get so upset today the sexual looseness of our culture is so great that there seems to be an umpteen number of women out there who will let themselves be sexually used easily by loser men. I mean, losers, right? Um, on Tinder. And nobody's outraged about that. That's not called justice. There's a protest about that. There's an anger about that. That's just normal. <laughs> It's consent, it's just consent. And yet, I think there's a justice issue here. I believe there are so many vulnerable women today there who, have, who have no Boaz in their life. If you have, what if you, because you know, you, the, this is Ruth, she goes out to glean. You go to work today and you have no wise mother-in-law, you have no Naomi in your life. Okay, you need to avoid this circle. Don't go here, go here, because here you'll be okay, but over there you'll be in trouble. You'll be in danger. There's so many women today who have no Naomi and who have no Boaz in their life that they go out into the glean out in the field and they're under the threat of sexual assault. They're under the threat of just gross, disgusting stuff. And so, we, we are shocked or stunned when there's a powerful Hollywood, you know, there's a powerful Hollywood guy. And then all these horrible stories come out about these women coming forward. And then a bunch of other women come forward. This Me Too. We call it the Me Too movement. They say, get the news. It's huge. And you know what? Me Too movement is Ruth chapter two. That's what it is. It's Ruth chapter two. And maybe all the women that under, underwent something really gross and disgusting. Maybe they weren't raped. Maybe they were more like groped or, you know, propositioned or something like this. And it was, you know, the Me Too thing. That's Ruth chapter two. So if you think I'm making too much of Ruth chapter two, I just deeply disagree with you. Ruth chapter two is today. It's today. The, the justice for the widow issue is all is going on all the time. And nobody's outraged. And I, I honestly, just as a man and as a pastor and as a preacher, as a father and as a husband, I, I just can't allow myself to think about it too much because if I think about it, I'll just get so, I'll just be so angry and outraged all the time. I mean, uh, uh, fathers, um, you should, okay, my daughters, both, I have two daughters, I have two beautiful daughters, you know, they took jujitsu. That wasn't an accident, okay? We paid money, <laughs> I drove across town, and they took jujitsu for more than one, you know, like for multiple years. And um, that's not an accident. And um, all fathers, I, I just urge you, you should think about that, okay? It's the kind of time we're living in today. So, I need to move on. Let's just stop here. Let's go to part two. Um, let's go to part two. And I want to talk about, just shift gears a little bit. 
I need to calm down um, because um, I'm, I'm just getting well, too upset, okay? Um, okay. Um, let's talk about a different issue. And I wanna talk about a related, but a little bit of a, a broader issue of how women, even if you aren't a widow, you can become to feel lonely and vulnerable without Boaz's and without um, Naomi's in your life. There aren't not, there are not nearly enough Naomi's and Boaz's in our, one of the deep problems in our society today is there's just not enough good men. Okay, it's just, just, just let's be blunt about it. There are enough men worth marrying. And so women, even if they don't never even get to the chance to get married and then your husband die and become a widow, that's why we, the problem of single women and single mothers who are vulnerable without protection. And so single women, single mothers are like widows. I think they, they basically categorically are like widows biblically. Biblically, they would be seen like widows. I think God would look at them and say, you're vulnerable women today. And I want to share with you something today. What I think so vulnerable and unhappy women in the injustice of modern day Sodom. And this is what our culture produces. Okay. And so I want to take you to a passage, a couple of quotes from a superb essay that came out in the Atlantic in, the, in, in I think, I want to say it's 2008. And so let me share a screen with you. Here we go. And share the screen. So here it is. You in this? Okay. Oops. Well, let me just double check. <laughs> share the screen. Let's do this again. I'm nervous. Got to make sure we do this right. Okay. Okay, this is, this is the name of the article. Marry him, the case for settling for Mr. Good Enough, Lori Gottlieb, March 2008 of The Atlantic, okay? And Lori Gottlieb, she's not a Christian. From what I can tell, um, for those of you Gottlieb, th th this name, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a German-Jewish name. Gott means God, Lieb means love. Her name literally means Lori, love of God. <laughs> they literally, I think she's secular Jewish. Uh, it's 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 smart, insightful, honest. Okay, and I want to take you to a passage, and take you to an important quote here that she says. All right, let me see if I can get to this thing. Oh man, I already I had it exactly at the right spot. Right. Okay. Uh, darn it. What I didn't. Here we go. Okay, listen up. So Lori Gottlieb, bright, smart, educated, makes decently good money. Um, she's single and she never found, you know, like the love of her life and she didn't get married, but she wanted to be a mom. So then she, you know, you know, got with this sperm donor and then she had a baby. And so she's a single mom, although she's not a poor single mom. She's well-educated. I don't know if she's upper middle class, or at least she's at least middle class and not like starving or something, but she's a single mom. And she talks about this case that she's saying, ladies, if you meet a man that's good, but maybe not the love of your life, super romantic, like, you know, your dream, you should like, you should think about maybe settle. That's her advice. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but today it's like, almost like it's considered insane, but listen to what she says, okay? What I didn't realize when I decided in my 30s to break up with boyfriends I might otherwise have ended up marrying is that while settling seems like an enormous act of resignation, when you're looking at it from the vantage point of a single person, once you take the plunge and do it, you'll probably be relatively content. That's interesting. That's what she says. It sounds obvious now, but I didn't fully realize back then that what makes for a good marriage isn't necessarily what makes for a good romantic relationship. So I, I, I wanted you to understand that today we are with an idolatrous understanding of romance. We have an out of control, we have like utterly no wisdom on sexual morality and it, put, it, it really puts women in a bad place, okay? Once you're married, it's not about whom you wanna go on vacation with. It's about whom you wanna run a household with. Marriage isn't a passion fest. It's more like a partnership formed to run a very small, mundane, and often boring nonprofit business. 
That's how she puts it. And I mean this in a good way. That's the way she puts it. Okay? And I mean this in a good way. So here, let me stop and like take you, jump you to another place. All right? So I'm going to share screen. Here we go. And so um, let me take you to another place. Okay? So I hope you're here. Uh, I hope you're not saying this. Okay? So listen, if you're, if you're not, just please forgive me if you're not. So she jumps on. And so she basically says that she, you know, got, you know, she's now a single mother. What she's basically saying is whenever she hangs out with all the other married mothers and she's on like play dates and you know, they got little kids and she got, she's got her, her, her child, but she, she hears them, you know, gripe about their husband. And even if she gripe, they gripe about their husband, you know what she, when she was there, it was like, they would never trade place with her. No way they trade place with her. That's one thing she said. And then she started finding out that after they got married, they started, they had a different outlook and they started thinking about what it could be like, you know, what different, what it looks like. And they started getting different advice from women who have like pangs of regret of like constantly looking for like, you know, Mr. Exactly right. and super romantic. And where he had all, you know, the bells and whistles. He was tall, good looking, dark, handsome, you know, you know, was like, you know, well-spoken, funny, came from, you know, all that good stuff, okay? And, you know, made a lot of money. But here's what she says, okay? So let's go. So what they understood is this. So they now don't say think this way anymore, okay? They've lived a life a little bit. What they understood is this. As your priorities change from romance to family, the so-called deal breakers, that's deal breakers for a man, change. Some guys aren't worldly. They'd make great dads. Or you walk into a room and start talking to this person who's five foot four and has an unfortunate nose, but he gets you, right? My long married friend Renee offered this dating advice to me in an email. I would say, even if he's not the love of your life, make sure he's someone you respect intellectually, makes you laugh, appreciates you, and I bet there are plenty of these men in the older overweight and bald category, which they all eventually become anyway. She wasn't joking. Ms. Lori Gottlieb. Listen to this. A number of my single women friends admit in hushed voices, and after I swear I won't use their real names, that they'd readily settle now, but wouldn't have settled 10 years ago. They believe that part of the problem is that we grew up idealizing marriage. And that if we had a more realistic understanding of its cold, here it is, cold heart benefits, we might have done things differently. Instead, we grew up thinking that marriage meant feeling some kind of divine spark. And so we talked, walked away from uninspiring relationships that have made us happy in the context of a family. So listen to this her, her words. What we're looking for in a romantic way is a divine spark. Just note, you know, you know what that means? When she uses the word divine, you know what that is? Idolatry language. You want something divine from something that isn't really from God itself. It's something, it's something good in the world, but you want something divine out of it. You know what that is? You, that's, that's idolatry. And then on top of that, so we want supreme idolatrous marriage where you get super romance and everything is like all put together. And at the same time, we're super duper, like um, um, we're super duper, uh, here, let's stop here. We're just super duper, we're super duper sexually loose. And even like loser, gross guys who, who are far from Boaz, they just want to, you know, use women for sex. How, how are women supposed to be happy? Most all women, they want, well, certainly the vast majority. If you are a special woman who is not, you know, didn't want to get married and have children, you're a small percentage of the, pop, of the, of the female population. And I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. You have a kind of a certain gift, I think, a certain gift to be wired a certain way. But but the vast majority of women, they want a husband and children. Even if they also want a good career. And so, and what if there isn't a pathway to find a good husband and have children? Because there's not enough Boazes in our culture. And then on top of that, the way we think about 
trying to have a, a long-term happy life, not a short-term super romance, but a long-term happy life is you got to think about other things that you don't see when you're in your 20s or even in your 30s. Maybe you don't even see it till you get to your 40s. And um, she's talking about the cold, hard benefits of a good marriage. Cold, hard benefits of a Boaz in your life. So first of all, here are the injustices in our society. There aren't enough Boazes. Number two, we have a wicked and foolish understanding about sex. I know our society doesn't think it's wicked, but if you start looking at it from a justice point of view, it's wicked. If you are a sexually attractive woman, um, a lot of men will be interested in you, okay? But I just want to let this to you, just wait. You're in your 30s and 35. You may still be sexually attractive, but less women, men will be interested in you. And so what if you're, what if you're more of ad, average attractiveness, which is most women, because that's what average means. They're going to feel so unsure. How do you find a Boaz? How do you find a Boaz? Right? A good man. And, and then what if you're poor? Or what if you're poor and you don't even, you're not even sure if you're even of adverb attractiveness. And the whole culture is saying, if you want to get a man at all, you got to put out. You got to put out. You got to be sexually available. And so if the culture is telling literally two-thirds, three-quarters, 80, 90 percent of the female population, you're not super sexy. Who's going to desire you? How can you ever get to marriage? This is up. This is justice. This is the kind of society that God wants to burn down. He wants to burn us all down. So all, like, all, all the women, the vast majority of women today are like vulnerable like Ruth. Then even if they're rich, even if they're educated, you can be rich, you can be educated. If you're average uh, uh, sexually attractiveness, you feel vulnerable. And way not enough boys in our culture and the ethics in our society, we have this false understanding of justice God wants to burn us down. And if you are a man and you really care about the women in your life, and I sure hope you do, this is what we're up against. Revive, you know, in, 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 our, in, our, in our church, we, we, want, we want there to be Boazes. And I have no, we have no, I have no, um, you know, apologies whatsoever calling the men to be men. We're complementary church. The men have to be men, and we want, we want Boaz to be in our church. And if there's a member of, of Revive, and you don't want to be a Boaz, we're going to get on you, okay? Because the, the women in our church, they should feel protected. All they should, they should be surrounded by Boazes in our church. All the women should be knowing Naomi's in our church. And we should be the counterculture that all the others, you know, vulnerable uh, Ruth's in our culture can feel like when I'm with them, there's protection. There is a pathway to marriage. There's, there's, there's hope. So that's the kind of church we want to be. This is what real biblical justice and wisdom looks like, brothers and sisters, okay? So let me close my message. And I want to talk about a hope from the gospel, okay? So in an earlier message, in an earlier message, I talked about how we as a culture, corporately, we are guilty of violating justice. Individually, you may feel like I am not some perverted guy trying to do something bad to women. But I'm, I'm saying to all of us, if we're in the church, and I already, even before I began, get earnestly into it's like, there's so much of the church, we just want to hunker down and not talk about controversial things. And we don't want to offend our neighbors by saying, you know, like, you know, the sexual ethics in our, in our society, they're, they're really bad. And they're not just kind of foolish, they're actually evil. 
I mean, that is so offensive in our time, but it's true. And it's actually really helpful. You know, just if the men don't want to do that, if the women don't want to do that, you know what? Uh, let me just say it's a lack of courage. And so if people in our society say, well, you know, we're going to have exploitation, just go on and on, no problem. Except until, you know, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world come along and then we got to have Me Too movement, okay? And so all the women are out there, no Boaz, but Harvey Weinstein instead. If that's going to be the case, but everybody just kind of goes along with it. I'm sorry, we're complicit in the injustice. We're complicit. You and I, we are part of the problem, and we deserve to be burned down by God and Sada. You know what we need? We need to be a, a better kind of people. And the way the gospel points it out is God will say, you were a whorish people. You were a prostituted kind of people. You're like a widow that was thrown away, and nobody wanted to marry you, and nobody wanted to protect you. There was no good manhood for you. There was nobody who would go out there and and defend you, would lay down you know, his life for you. We as a people need to believe that, not just we as individuals. And so the Bible, you know, the Bible says this, God's people is like a woman. God's people, multiple places in the Bible says God's people are like a woman, like, like an abandoned woman. And in fact, it's like the Bible, the Bible says we're like a prostitute. So we're like, we're, we, we go out there and we whore ourselves away from God. But, you know, we're, we're like these defenseless women in the world. But I want to close by telling you the gospel different this way, for the hope of the gospel for we as a people. That the people of God are like a defenseless woman. And here is the way I want to close. Okay, this is toward the end of the Bible, the great hope. And this is uh, Revelation chapter 19. And this is the hope of the proclamation of the good news of what God offers us through Jesus. Okay? Chapter 19, verse 6. So it's written by John, and he sees this incredible vision of the, of the healing of all things. And here's how he puts it. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns, not in justice, but our God reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. And here it is. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So here's the way I want to close this message. If life is that we're all just like widows, whether you're a man, you're like Ruth. You're just out on your own and nobody cares about you. Or you're a woman, you're on your own and nobody cares about you. There's not enough Boazes, there's no community. And you know, we're just out there and we gotta like be our own saviors and we gotta like make our own identities and make our own money. But you know, at some point, the world is going to, to pressure you, tempt you, say, do this and we'll give you money, do this, sell out, and you know, just, you just gotta you know, be used a bit. People today, we regularly, we're like, we're like widows, and especially the women today, and their sexual attractiveness to really gross and disgusting men, they're, they are truly like widows. And the church of God, the people, we're like a widow. But here is what the Bible says. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There was one greater than Boaz. And he would say, I'll be your redeemer and I'll marry you. And I'll do whatever it takes to protect you. And he did. He came into this really deep and gross and just world. And he took all our follies 
and all our idolatries, and we try to make things into divine sparks, and we are idolatrous, and we are so foolish, and we're so cowardly, and we so easily give in to the oppressions and injustice of the world, and we sell out the women of our lives, we sell out weak people our lives, and we're so worried that, I, I guess I just have to give in, this is our life. But the great redeemer who came to be the great husband, he came to said that he will shed his blood to wash us, to wash us of our injustice and of our foolishness and of our wickedness and of our adulterousness. And he will say that he will protect us and he will give us wisdom and he will give us a pathway to flourishing if we would be his bride. The church of God, if we would be his bride, I know that sounds really weird, men. If we would be the bride of the great ultimate man, the ultimate manhood, we will learn a new kind of manhood. We will learn to be like Boaz and better than Boaz, like Jesus. This is what we're talking about. The lamb is Jesus. He offers us a new kinds of cleansing to not leave us abandoned as single and as widows where the husband is dead, but the ultimate husband is alive and will protect us and give us a new kind of flourishing. And will help the women in the midst and in our culture to find a happiness and that miserable misery and loneliness or to be exploited and hurt in our times. Let's pray. Father, we live in a terrible and painful time. And we are filled with so much guilt and shame in so many different ways, the men and the women. And I especially want to pray for women in, who hear this message, especially if they have been touched by something creepy and terrible or even the worst thing possible, rape. Would you offer them a hope and a healing and a forgiveness? We pray for something new in our culture, a real justice, according to the gospel, and give us courage to stand up for vulnerable people, to live inside of wisdom, so there'll be a pathway for vulnerable can find something really, a new kind of community, protections with Naomi's and Boaz's can arise, where we can have true justice and real joy. We need you so much, Lord Jesus. Thank you for offering us this hope and take us into this wisdom Give us the courage and the power to follow you to this better kind of life. In Jesus' name, amen.